After four long, hard years of bringing you this show, we're finally being recognized for all of our hard work. We were just voted a top three business podcast by the Southwest Florida Entrepreneurship Club at Palm Grove Middle School in Pinecraft, Florida. See, this Amish and Mennonite community school houses over 32 students. And so to be chosen as a top three business podcast by your entrepreneurship club, well, it really means a lot. And you know, we'll now even work harder to earn your trust and see if we can get that number one spot next year. So thank you, Palm Grove Middle, for making this year a little bit brighter. I had been around it growing up. So I called my sister and I said, hey, you know, I got this idea. I think there's a real opportunity. Let's start a business. And she said, okay. And (laughs) neither one of us knew really what we were getting into. See, we're helping each other. Thank you. We're trying and hopefully helping millions of people listening right now, right? Hopefully, hopefully we're solving the great zipper crisis. But yes, we always say... The bubbles came flooding out of the machine. I will probably not forget any time in the near future. Then I was frustrated and I was like, I am going to make this work. I got mad, I guess. Did you use any profanity? Oh, yeah. Lots of profanity. (laughs) Hello, I'm Lindsay McCoy. I am 45 and I'm currently in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I am the CEO and co-founder of Plain Products. And Plain Products is on a mission to get single-use plastic out of the bathroom. We offer personal care products, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, body lotion, facial, hand wash in aluminum containers. And so you order the products, we send them out to you. They come in a box along with a pump, put the pump on. And then when you're running low, this is the cool part. We send a refill and a return label. So you switch the pump over to the refill bottle put the empty bottle back in the box and send it back to us for free. And then we wash, refill and reuse them. So no waste. Well, cool, Lindsay. I got to admit one thing to you, though. I think about you every time I'm in the bathroom. (laughs) I guess that is a good thing. It's a little disturbing to think about it that way, but that's better than not thinking about us at all. Right. My wife has been an avid customer because she's all against single-use plastic, and hopefully people are coming around to understanding that it's not the greatest thing for the environment. So you're standout because we get like an aluminum type of bottle and we return it after we've emptied it out, basically, right? Yeah. So the interesting thing is we get a lot of questions about, well, I recycle my plastic, or at least I think I do. Why do this? And One, you know, I think we're learning more and more that a lot of plastic isn't actually being recycled. But the other truth about plastic is that when they melt it down, it sort of changes the chemical bonds and plastic can only be reused once, maybe twice. And then it's going to end up in a landfill anyway. So the beauty of aluminum is not only can we take it back, wash, sterilize it, refill it safely. Once it is recycled, it's recycled infinitely. They can just keep using it over and over and over and over again. So it never needs to end up in a landfill. So that's the other important difference. And if people look more and more into it, because I've been researching a lot lately as well, even just kind of prepping for this interview, but 
just the recycling thing. I mean, if you look on there, I believe there's seven different numbers and like really only the one and two get recycled. So the other ones usually go in the trash. And then like you said, even the ones that can be recycled only can be recycled once, maybe twice, and then it loses its efficiency or bonding. So then it's no good anyways. I mean, single-use plastic overall is kind of a terrible thing for the environment, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just kind of a terrible thing all the way around. A plastic, don't get me wrong, is an amazing material. It does incredible things, you know, for medical devices. I mean, for cars, for something you're going to use for 20 years, it makes a ton of sense. But for something that we're going to use once and then get rid of, unfortunately, what they used to make plastic is just a byproduct or refining process. So they can give it away really cheaply. And they're just excited to have people use it and make any money off of it. It's there anyway. So we've sort of been sold a bill of goods that disposability is the most important thing in convenience. And in general, that's just not good for us or the environment. So reusability thing, like you're saying, anything like metal, even if it went in the trash, I believe that people go through scrap yards and they have these magnets where they could get that and reuse it. I guess anyone who has a business and is using those plastic kind of brainstorm like you did on ways that not only growing a business, but being better for the environment. I think that's the next step for all of us who are listening right now. Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately right now, producers aren't held accountable for their waste, but I think that's going to change in the next five years. I mean, certainly people are starting to talk about it now is that you can't just produce a ton of stuff and have several generations later have to deal with your waste and have there be no consequences. So they're looking at producer responsibility bills in a number of different states. And that's really going to change the game because right now it's not a level playing field. I mean, plastic is so cheap that it's hard to compete, but I'm hoping that's going to change as we realize that there is a cost to doing business that way. And so, yeah, your company is called Plain, like P-L-A-I-N-E. That's what I was making sure in case anyone was listening or trying to Google. I'm sure it comes up for both, but how'd you come up with the name? When I came up with this idea, which maybe we're going to talk about a little bit later, I called my sister and our shared maiden name is Della Plain. So that just felt like a good name. And then also kind of a play on, you know, sort of plain and simple, a return to earlier days. This solution is not rocket science. It's not based on technology. It's based on what we used to do in the 40s and 50s. You know, the milkman dropping off the bottle and picking up the empties later. We managed to function as a society without plastic for a very long time. That's a good point. I've never even thought about that. I guess you have, obviously. (laughs) Well, it's a little bit more of my world day to day. Okay. And so how big is your company, like, I guess, customers-wise and employee count? So we have been growing, which is great. We're up to 18 employees, but we have a lot of people that sort of work remotely for us, even prior to the pandemic. So because we're an e-commerce company, we have people that live in Canada, on the West Coast, on the East Coast, work whatever hours work for them. And that has afforded us the ability to tap into some really amazing talent because we can be flexible. And like, how much did you do in revenues last year? Last year, we did just over 2 million. How many like customers do you have? We're around 25,000. So we are just passing, replacing 250,000 plastic bottles. So we've had 250,000 bottles go out the door since we started. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Did you think you would get to this size at this point in time? You know, you got to be optimistic, right? My background's actually in nonprofit management. So this is my first for-profit venture. So I don't have a ton of benchmarks, but as I read and as I learn and as I self-educate, I think we're doing really well. So I'm incredibly proud of how well we're doing. 
Well, yeah. Is there anything else we should know about your company before we kind of reel it back to how you got started? I am sure there are tons of things that I should be telling you, but maybe we'll get started and they'll occur to me as we go along the way. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So where should we reel it back to? You coming out of college and doing a nonprofit? Sure. I went to graduate school thinking I was going to change the world via government. And then... (laughs) Then you got in government? Then I did some internships and realized that I did not have the patience for that kind of work and switched over to nonprofits, got a master's in public affairs, but ended up focusing on nonprofits, went and did that for 20 years, first in Colorado. And then my husband is actually from the Bahamas. So we moved to the Bahamas, which was incredible. And there I ended up running an environmental nonprofit with really my only qualifications being I'd lived in Boulder, Colorado. And I knew what (laughs) zero waste was because I'd been to the farmer's markets there and understand why recycling was a good thing. But through that, I got to meet a ton of really smart people, incredible scientists doing important conservation work. And I literally kept running into single-use plastic everywhere. They don't have the same infrastructure that we do to make things disappear. So you see it on the beaches, on the road, in the water. So I started doing the things that we're all doing now, carrying you know, the reusable water bottles, the reusable bags. But one place I couldn't find a solution was all of those little plastic bottles in the shower. So when we decided to move back to the US, I wanted a break from fundraising and nonprofit events. And I thought, maybe I can solve this a different way. My dad had had a number of small businesses when we were kids. At the time, it didn't interest me. But it didn't seem crazy to me to start a business because of that. I had been around it growing up. So I called my sister and I said, hey, you know, I got this idea. I think there's a real opportunity. Let's start a business. And she said, okay. And (laughs) neither one of us knew really what we were getting into. And that was May 2015. And we officially launched February 2017. I guess going up to May 2015 and looking back at your past experiences, Were you able to save up a lot of money or what was your plan going into starting a business with your sister? We had been able to save up money. We sold a house in the Bahamas that my husband and I owned and bought in North Carolina. So that was a win. And my sister had recently moved from Colorado to Cincinnati, also a win. What's the price difference? Because I have no clue between like a Bahamas house versus one in North Carolina. $200,000. So you made a profit, you're saying there. We made a profit there. And my sister also made a profit moving from Colorado to Cincinnati. Again, you know, different housing market. I actually took a job recruiting for a friend of mine, which is a pretty lucrative gig. So was doing that while we were doing all of the research and trying to figure out how we were going to get this business started, which helped. And luckily, again, it's something flexible I could do from home. I could make my own hours. So I was able to put a lot of time into getting this started while I was doing that. Energetic Austin here. And you know what? First impressions are everything. So if you're looking to make an impact with your online content, you need Issue, the easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. Issue is the all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital content from marketing materials to magazines to flipbooks and brochures and more. There's no need for endless scrolling through PDFs. Issue features your creative in an easy to view way on every device. Make it once and distribute it everywhere without reformatting. Your content is already optimized for engagement and ready to share. Issue also works seamlessly with tools you already use like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. Not only that, but Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, and really anyone who wants to make content that stands out and 
guess what? You can start using Issue for free. They also offer premium features that give a more customized experience. Get started with Issue today for free. Or if you sign up for a premium account, you'll get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use code millionaire. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use promo code millionaire at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue, I-S-S-U-U dot com slash podcast and use code millionaire. Picture this, two professional advisors are sitting with a business owner. They have just successfully sold their client's business for millions of dollars, a lifetime achievement and milestone. They've maximized value and minimized taxes, but the owner sits there seemingly unfulfilled and uncertain. How could this be? Well, the professional advisors sit back and think, have I met my client's objectives? To rapidly accelerate value and unlock wealth, the business owner must have business, personal, and financial goals equally aligned. Professional advisors must be prepared to help align these critical plans. Thus, the Exit Planning Institute came to be. As the only organization that offers the Certified Exit Planning Advisor credential, the Exit Planning Institute provides professional advisors with the training, knowledge, tools, and network needed to help business owners build more valuable and transferable companies. The SEPA Credentialing Program is a one-week course that is available both in person and online. Listeners receive a special offer when they register. Enter code EXIT at checkout to receive $1,000 off retail price for any remaining 2021 program. Will you be prepared to help when a business owner turns to you as their advisor? Register today at earnsepa.com. That's earncepa.com. I guess while you're doing it, you did research for about a year as you you said you're in the medical field or something of that nature. Yeah, I was doing recruiting in the medical field, which is very strange. But, you know, after you've raised money for a long time, calling people and offering them a job is not scary. They actually want to talk to you. That makes sense. And then from there, when you're doing the recruiting, you're doing research on this opportunity to get rid of the shampoo bottles. Tons of research, calling people, emailing people, reading I started reading business magazines and blogs, trying to learn more about that. And just very humble and a place of curiosity. I would call somebody and ask them some questions about packaging or products. And then I call them a week later and say, hey, I realized I was asking you the complete wrong questions. Can I ask you these questions instead? And really just spent a lot of time learning and making connections. I connected with a lot of bloggers in the green beauty, zero waste space, asked them a ton of questions and just kept trying to move forward. Who were you calling and what were you asking? I was calling, trying to learn about packaging, trying to learn about the different metals, trying to figure out what we should do. At the same time, on the personal care side, I was trying to learn about ingredients. I had no idea that your average mainstream you know, personal care product is mostly water and chemicals. That's why a lot of them are so cheap. So I was trying to learn about what we would want. I didn't want to create an environmentally friendly package and then stick a bunch of chemicals in it. So trying to figure out what the products actually really need and what's just making them cheaper and easier to mass produce. So we ended up with a product that's aloe-based instead of water-based and does not have any of the plastics, the phthalates, the sulfates, any of that detergent that makes it seem incredibly effective, but it's just a lot of chemicals. So we went naturally-based products and they work great. And that also took time to find a manufacturer that had a product that we really loved and that was willing to let us send reused bottles into their facility. 
So what was easier to figure out first, the material you're going to use for these bottles or the actual components of you making the shampoo or soap or whatnot? Well, we thought we'd figured out the bottles and thought we were going with stainless steel and we ordered a bunch and put some product in it and they rusted. Can I say why I think? Because most stainless steel, even if it has a little bit that is not stainless, that's what happens. I live near the beach. And so if I could do anything outside is stainless steel. But even when I do stainless steel, some of them, the screws start rusting and then I start using profanity because I'm like, this was supposed to be stainless steel. (laughs) That sounds like a very similar conversation to the one that we were having. Yes, not all stainless steel is created equal and in places where there are kind of bonds where you've got to close it up together and other pieces, there are weaknesses and flaws. And so we had these beautiful, cute stainless steel mason jars that we were getting ready to lunch with and we had to scrap the whole thing and start over. And that's how we ended up with aluminum. So you had the concept, right? But then that's what happens sometimes is like everything seems like you did the right thing in the beginning, but then once you actually start putting together the product and something ultimately kind of fails, right? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the minimally viable product school of thought. It's important to get something that's good, but accept that it's not perfect and put it out in the world and learn from it. I guess that you were doing research in the beginning, you said you're going to do a stainless steel. Were we just doing shampoo at first? We were doing shampoo, conditioner, and body wash in one scent to start. And then next was to figure out the scents and the products that you wanted to make to put inside the stainless steel jar. Mm-hmm. We were sort of doing that in parallel. I mean, we were researching containers and ordering stuff and talking to people and, and figuring out what was the most durable label because we wanted to reuse it and learning about hot press and printing on metal. And at the same time, working our way through manufacturers and saying, okay, well, that's not going to work. What about the next one? Networking, talking to people, trying to find our way through this private labeling world. And again, you can create your own formula. You can try and copy something. You can find somebody who has, you know, I mean, just learning, 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 asking questions, trying to figure out what we could afford, which was not creating our own formula, nor did we have the knowledge base for that. So we sort of said, oh, well, we need to find somebody who has a formula. We had this brief, crazy moment. We're like, we could make it. And thank God we moved away from that quickly. But, you know, just testing out every idea, walking through it, seeing if it makes sense. And then when it usually doesn't, as you're getting started, solving that problem and finding the next open door. So when you're trying to make your own product at first, were you just doing it in the kitchen? No, no, no. I mean, that was a brief, like, it would be so cool if we could. And then immediately, you know, we started thinking through the implications of that and realized that that was a terrible idea. So that was like a one day thought process. You know, it was a dream when we were first kind of getting started of like, it would be so great if we could customize it and have different scents and we could make it. And then we started looking into the reality of it and was like, oh, no, no, I'm not a great cook. Nobody wants me making their products. So then from there, you realize, hey, I need to find someone who makes, I guess, a shampoo that doesn't have all these toxins in because you kind of figured out your your niche is going to be something that's reusable, like stainless steel at the time you thought, but we're going to have some product in there that doesn't have all these pollutants in it. Exactly. So how do you go around finding the people to help you do that? A lot of time on the internet. And again, a lot of time asking questions. You know, I mean, we would got on different blogs, a ton of research, talking to people. Oh, you don't do that. Do you know anybody else who does that? And that was finally how we found the manufacturer that we're using was actually through another manufacturer who couldn't do exactly what we wanted, but had worked with these guys and referred them in the past. Yeah, to me, even when you Google manufacturers and stuff, that is still a very difficult thing to find. 
It is so challenging. And, you know, the best ones sometimes you don't find. It's that word of mouth and really, you know, making those connections and, and taking the time to pester people and talk to them and, and get a few minutes and say, okay, you know, you're in this industry. Who do you know? Who would you recommend? And that's where we ended up in actually, and everything that we're doing right now is working with companies that other people referred us to. When you eventually settled on the product that you're going to use to put in here, like how long did that take to find that person and go with that formula? It was easily a year into it. And then we actually ended up flying down and meeting them and talking about what we wanted to do and why we wanted to reuse bottles and talking to their chemist to make sure that the process was going to work and everything we were doing to sterilize the bottles satisfied their needs. We went into a room full of essential oils and my sister and co-founder had the tolerance to smell like 50 different things and pick some stuff, which I was like tapped out after like three cents. I was like, whatever, I can't smell anymore. Call me when you're done or call me when you're down to your last two or three. And I'm happy to help choose between that. But she had the patience and the nose to work through all of that and pick the rosemary, mint, vanilla that we started with that's still our most popular fragrance. And you had taken a job when you had moved to North Carolina. How much time were you spending per week if you had a guess doing this versus doing the recruiting job? You know, I mean, I'm sure it varied week to week, but I was probably spending 20 hours a week on this and maybe 30 on the recruiting. So not a ton of free time, but I was enjoying it. I was excited about it. I was learning a ton while I was doing it. And that's always been something that I enjoy. So it didn't feel too hard. Well, before you even get to the process of finding that manufacturer, it seems like to come up with your formula. Were there points that you wanted to give up with doing all this research and saying, hey, this is going to be too hard to do? I think somebody kindly called me tenacious. I joke that I don't have a ton of great ideas. So when I actually had one, I just decided to stick with it. Problem solving is probably like my superpower. I just really kind of refuse to just give up because I can't solve a problem. I'll just keep poking at it and asking questions and turning it around and thinking about it. But the other secret was having a partner. So on those days when I was frustrated or I was like, you know, I don't know if we're going to figure this out. You know, she was able to say, no, we're going to figure this out and vice versa. You know, on days when she was like, it is not worth it. And I'm like, yeah, no, we're going to get this. We're going to figure this out. So if you think your sister wasn't involved, that you might not do it? We bring incredibly complementary, but very different skills to the table. And I certainly think that I might have done it, but it would have not been nearly as successful if it hadn't been for her. She's the one who really pushed us through a lot of different manufacturers. I probably would have settled on one earlier that wasn't as good. She recently pushed us to revamp the labels, the look of the website. And she would say she would have never launched. She's more of a perfectionist, more of a product town than I am. And I would have launched way too soon. So I think we really balanced each other out. And there's no doubt in my mind that we would have not been as successful as we are now without each other. Yeah, that's the reason I've been starting to do like group calls with some of my members who like Patreon members who support the podcast and being able to talk to old guests is really just that what exactly you're saying, because there's a lot of solo founders too. At least you had your sister, it seems like, but just being able to even see or even vent, it doesn't even have to be venting, but like see that other people are dealing with challenges and starting a business or maybe they're a few years in. So it seems like you at least had that in your sister, but I just feel like a lot of people underestimate how lonely it can get when you're getting started or a few years in. It's so lonely. I mean, I really think 
I'm so grateful for her. And it is so great to talk to somebody else that cares as much as you do. You find in business that you're working with people and they're making mistakes because it's not their main concern. They're doing their own job and they're not overthinking it. You know, we will order bottles for the fifth time and they didn't come with any caps. And I was like, well, why didn't you send caps? And they're like, well, you didn't ask for caps. I was like, why wouldn't you send me caps? So having somebody that is as frustrated with you as those situations is invaluable. But even if you don't have a co-founder, I totally agree with you that a peer group of other people in a similar position is so helpful because it does help you realize that other people are facing similar challenges and it's not just you. And other people are frustrated with the same group of people, contractors, suppliers, whoever they are that you're working with and have similar problems. As we've gone along, I have connected with other sort of small business, sustainable business people. And that has been so helpful in just realizing that the mistakes we've made, everybody's made, and the problems that we have, everybody has, and we're not alone. And that just helps you keep you sane. That's the reason I could relate when I was asking about the manufacturer, because I've been trying to do some of that recently. And it's like, it is so hard <laughs> to find manufacturers, whatever niche you're going in, like, you have to go to Google page 10 to eventually find it. And even then you have to keep messaging people like you were saying on blogs or LinkedIn messages or whatever, just to try to find someone who makes a product. So you think it'd be a little bit easier, but it is not. It is not. And it is hard to find quality and it's hard to find people that you want to work with that are going to be responsive. And when you have issues that they're going to still be there to talk to, all of those things are so challenging. And when we do have issues with our manufacturer, I have to like remind myself, like it could be so much worse. At least they're answering the phone. Like if they send you bottles without tops, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which has happened. <laughs> totally understandable. Because it's like, I can understand getting so frustrated, but then you're like, well, they kind of do have my product and... Oh yeah. No, no. You're a little bit held hostage for sure. It is a tricky relationship. So going into this, how far would you say you're into the story after your, you and your sister go ahead and fly down to smell some scents somewhere? <laughs> we're pretty far in. I mean, at that point, you know, we knew we wanted to work with them. We were picking a scent. This is the point at which we were getting the stainless steel mason jars. So we were testing it with them. And that's when we realized, oh, we're not launching this fall. We need to step back. And so we had to switch bottles, which meant we had to completely redo the labels. It was another six months, again, before we could launch. At that time, did you know it was going to take another six months? No, which is probably a good thing. I'm always the optimist. But then again, I think I did too. I mean, having known how long it took to get the first set of samples, it's not like you just do it. Like you've got to get the bottles and then you've got to get them printed and then you've got to get them filled. And it was our first time. So everything took longer. And as you know, the manufacturer sells you four weeks and then there's delay. So it's six weeks and then they don't get picked up. And then it's another week. So you just take a deep breath and try and be pleasant. So they take your call the next time. I know I'm feeling like I might need to get in the manufacturing business. When I talked to the guy that I was working with. It's like, yeah, it'll be like three months. And then I'm like, dude, if you're already telling me it's three months, I'm already thinking in my head, it's going to be six months, you know? I'd heard it before with like building a house or something. People are like, double the time, double the money. That's where you are. And that is how it feels. Because then they're optimistic. Oh yeah, we can do it in three months. But then they're like, oh, well, this supplier of ours, you know, didn't come through. There's always a something. There's always a reason. Yeah, it's why something didn't come through. So I guess up to this point, how much money did you and your sister allocate? And did you have that in a business account beforehand? Or just tell us about figuring that out. We kept 
putting chunks of money into the business account. And obviously we went over budget after the stainless steel debacle of having to buy more bottles when we hadn't yet sold anything. So that was probably the toughest time was we sort of dipped further than we wanted to at that point. But we made the decision that we were were so close that we were in. We weren't ready to give up at that point. As scary and as frustrating as it was, I really wanted to see it through and, and see if it would work and test it. People really liked the idea. We'd had good responses. And so we just went that extra scary mile and went from 50,000 to 75,000, which was a lot for us and launched. 50 to 75,000 what? Dollars invested in the idea. Okay. Yeah. So you started out, that's what I was going to ask in, in your account, you both put like 25K? It was smaller chunks than that, but yeah, we ended up there and then we ended up having to go up to 75 to buy more bottles. And we ended up, you know, at the time we were buying bottles from China because we could get them in small amounts. We called US manufacturers and they were like, how many truckloads do you want? And I was like, no, no, no truckloads. (laughs) Please don't send me a truckload of anything. I want like a thousand. So we have since been able to increase our bottles and been able to switch to a US manufacturer, which has been great, honestly. And the quality of the bottles is so much better, but we just couldn't afford it. Couldn't find anybody that we would work with. That would work with us at small amounts when we were getting started. You got to start somewhere, even if you like go in with the game plan of maybe being USA based or not, you try to de-risk yourself. So especially if they're going to try to say you need truckloads here in the US, you got to try somewhere else. So how did you find the people in China? Were those the stainless steel bottles that you were talking about first? They were the stainless steel bottles first. And then that company sort of evaporated when we tried to get some help with the rest issue. So then we tried a different company. We actually went to a U.S. distributor of bottles who would then work with China with us. So we could buy a smaller amount from them, but then they at least were dealing with the Chinese supplier, which was a win for us after trying to do it by ourselves and kind of getting fleeced a little bit. Can we focus on that for a minute? Yeah. Like, how did you find the Chinese people there in the beginning? And then just tell us the headache that you went through and whatnot, because again, other people are going through the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, the beauty of the internet, I think probably combination of some Alibaba and just some internet research. So again, we didn't have that much money. So we were trying to find something that already existed that we could sort of make work for our purposes. And this is just a bottle again, right? Not the formula. Yeah, this is just the bottle. This is the stainless steel mason jar that we started with. So we were like, oh, well, we could, you know, this will be fun and cute. And then we could find some caps from somebody and some pumps and all these already existed. So we were just ordering stuff that they already had on the shelf. So we weren't getting too deep into that relationship. But then when we got them, we were like, um, look at all this rust. And they were like, well, that's what you ordered. You said it was stainless steel. And they're like, well, we didn't mean food grade stainless steel. We just meant stainless stainless steel. So that was a whole lesson in various types of stainless steels and costs. And it turns out that we could not afford what they were saying was food grade stainless steel. And we felt kind of burned by the whole situation anyway. So that's when we stepped back and we found a bottle distributor who has the bottles made and then resells them. So we ended up going with somebody like that who was a little bit more expensive, but we felt it was worth it at that point to be able to, you know, if there are any issues, go back to them instead of trying to deal with China on the situation. So how much did those non-food grade stainless steels cost and how many did you get? I think we had to get 3,000. I think that was the minimum. 
and they all ended up at the recycling center. But at least they could be recycled. So, I mean, that was a good thing, but that was a sad day driving them down to the scrapyard and just dumping them in. I guess you started off your company, right? If you're into recycling, you might as well just start it off that way, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they knew us well down at the scrapyard. I would have guessed that it had to be food grade stainless steel. And I guess you wouldn't. Even... No, I mean, who knew that there were lots of different types of stainless steel? And I don't even know if we had gotten food grade stainless steel. As you said, there, I, I think there still probably would have been some flaws and some welding marks that, that whatever. So, so, you know, we started to go down that road and then we were like, this is crazy. Like, let's not do this. Let's pivot and look at aluminum. I guess, what is it like a dollar a piece? Do you remember how much you put into that? We were probably around that, somewhere between one to two dollars. But even the main thing is like, didn't you have to wait a while to actually get them? So how long did that take? We were joking about a slow boat from China. I mean, a while. <laughs> That's what it felt like. And then we had to get printed on. And then we were like assembling the pumps. Oh, wow. So you got that far to printing and all that. Then notice it. It wasn't even like right when it got there. No, sadly not. So yeah, live and learn. We were so excited once we finally got them and didn't do all of our due diligence on the testing up front. If you had to do it over again, is there any way that you feel like you could have done it better? Or Because eventually you went with a US company that did it for you with some Chinese people, right? Is that basically what ended up happening? Yeah, eventually that is what we ended up doing. Yeah, we worked with a US distributor that had some relationships and were able to get us small amounts of bottles. So that worked out. You were able to find that person. How hard was it to find that person? That actually wasn't that hard. By that point, we knew what we were looking for a little bit more. I mean, I think the trickiest thing when you're starting out is you don't know what you don't know. I mean, we didn't know that that existed when we were starting out. Like we just thought, oh, we need bottles. We need to find somebody who makes them and buy them from them. We didn't know that there were bottled distributors that we could work with. So I don't honestly remember how we stumbled upon that information, but we did at some point figure it out. And so ended up going and talking to them after the dark days of the stainless steel jars. Even at that point, I mean, it stinks if you, let's just say you wasted five, 6,000, whatever total on that. And it's mainly the time, right? So that's the main thing, especially if you're trying to get started. It was the time. It was the frustration. It was the frustration with ourselves that we got into that situation, that we didn't test it better. You start doubting yourself and second guessing your decisions. I think that was as painful as the money. So that was still in the first six months or so of the company? Yeah, there barely was a company at that point. I mean, we'd incorporated and had a bank account, but that was, <laughs> that was about it. So, um, Well, did you think you're going to stop then at that point? No, then I was frustrated and I was like, I am going to make this work. I got mad, I guess, which is good. I, you know, I was frustrated with myself. I was determined to prove that I could figure it out, that there was something to this. And so... I was going to launch. And, and if we crashed and burned at that point, then I think maybe I could have walked away. But I wanted to at least put it out into the world and see how people responded before I give up. Did you use any profanity? Oh, yeah. Lots of profanity. <laughs> I think there would have been a lot of F-bombs after I started seeing some rust on this. <laughs> yeah, lots. And at various points along the way. Anyway, we did send it like to our product manufacturer and I were like, is this really rust? And they were like, oh yeah, that's rust. It's just a natural scent to add to the body wash, right? Yes. It's good for you, right? Everybody's iron deficient. That's got to be okay. 
once you're able to find that next step was finding that person that could help you out with those relationships, that seems like that would be a big game changer and confidence booster. Yeah. You know, it's nice to have somebody who is confident in their relationships with their suppliers and just simplifying that process. And being on the same time zone as your supplier was a huge win. You send something to China and you wait to, and they email you back at 5 a.m. and then you try and email them back, but you're not going to hear back from them. Yeah, literally a 12-hour difference from us on the East Coast. So that becomes an issue, obviously. So once you find that person, how many bottles did you have to reorder again? It was aluminum and we went with the same. We talked them into just selling us 3,000 and got those printed and got product made and put into them. Well, did you test it before you printed it? Oh, yes, we did. Then we let them sit. We stuck them in a shower. Oh, we, we probably over-tested them. Peed in them, did whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think we did that. Man, maybe. It's easier for guys. Yes, but lots of testing went on and we like sliced some bottles open and we were full on this time, which was great. We got my brother-in-law involved. We all probably manually inspected all 3,000 bottles. Yes, we were not going to be fooled again, so we did. So were all these bottles just in your house? They were in my sister's garage. That was our warehouse slash fulfillment center. Nice. So would you fly up there? Because it's not an easy drive, right, from North Carolina up to there? It is not. So we, again, as I mentioned, we sort of have different skills. We had a pretty clear division of labor. We agreed that she would handle fulfillment and kind of keep an eye on supply and inventory and that piece. And then I would handle everything else, you know, marketing, social media, finances, all of that website. That was all my area, which I could do from here in North Carolina. You think that was like a fair trade-off? Yeah, most days. It seems like it to me. Because I feel like I could be on your side, but it's a totally different deal with getting all those out, the products out and dealing with all that. Seems like a fair compromise. That's why I was asking. I think it has been. I mean, I'm sure there are days, I'm sure both of us have felt like we were either getting the better or the worse end of that deal, depending on what was going on. But I think it's worked out incredibly well and it's played to both of our strengths. Again, as I mentioned, she's a perfectionist. I wasn't even allowed to pack bottles for a while because I just didn't do it right when I would come up to visit. No, that's not where you put that. That's not how you fold that. I was like, fine, I'll go inside and send some emails. So it worked out really well. Hey guys, are you guilty of stealing and wearing your wife's panties around the house? Well, if you're like me, then yeah, you do it all the time. Or maybe you're just one of those normal guys that steals your girlfriend's or wife's skincare instead. Hey, I used to do that too but not anymore. You know why? It's because I use the best natural face serum for men and it's called Caldera Lab. And as you can tell, I even have it on right now. See, Caldera Lab is a company with the conscious, unlike me. They're the only men's skincare line certified by Made Safe, EcoCert, PETA, and Leaping Bunny. Whether you are tackling dry skin, acne scars, wrinkles, or just want to invest in healthier skin, this is the product for you. See, Caldera Lab produces a serum called The Good. It's a non-toxic natural serum made 100% from plants. And guess what? They're going the extra mile in sourcing. All their ingredients are either organically farmed or wild harvested by hand with a team of botanists right outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. The Good by Caldera Lab works on all skin types. It works without beard, a bald head, or even those men with dry scalps. You shouldn't have to decide between clean, sustainable ingredients and real results. 
All of their products are easy to use and simple to apply. You can apply it at night or use it in the morning. And best of all, you can get it 100% risk-free. If you don't love it, they will refund you in full. So guys, stop stealing your wife's skincare. Use a product that's designed for men's skin and actually clinically proven to bring healthier, younger-looking skin. Again, the good by Caldera Lab is that non-toxic, vegan, multifunctional serum that I have been using every night before I go to bed. It's an easy, one-step routine that leaves my skin moisturized, youthful, and protects from free radical damage. And my wife says it's the best my skin has ever looked. So if you want to look like me and receive 20% off your first purchase of the good, then go to calderalab.com and use code MILLIONAIRE at checkout. Again, go to calderalab.com and use code MILLIONAIRE. I'm here with Jonathan Cogley. How are you doing, Jonathan? Hi, Austin. Doing great. Thanks. Cool. Uh, Jonathan, I actually interviewed him on episode 85, and he actually helped a lot of our business founders on Group Call 14. So if you're a Patreon member, you can check that out. So your company is Logic Boost Labs. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. So we're a startup accelerator. We're based in San Diego, and we work with startups that are early revenue or pre-revenue. So you've got a great business idea. Maybe you've validated the market. You've got one or two customers or maybe a few beta customers, and you're looking to grow your business. We're the accelerator that would help you. We have three startup partners already. One is in Israel, one is in Tennessee, and one is in LA. And we're looking to add two new startups within the next four months. So if people wanted to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to reach you? definitely visit our website. So logicboostlabs.com slash millionaire. Sign up for a free mentoring session with me. We'll talk about your business and see if you're a good fit. Okay. So it's free to sign up. Yeah. We're looking for startups. It doesn't cost anything. We're looking to do a free mentoring session with them, learn a little bit more about their business and see if it's a good fit for our team. So our team would then bring angel investment so we can write checks up to say $300,000. And we also include services so we might be able to provide a VP of sales to help get your startup going. It could be, you know, customer success help. It could be technical help. We have a CTO on staff. And yeah, that's the approach. We basically accelerate your startup and give you a better chance of being successful. And our goal is to take startups from effectively $0 to 1 million ARR. And where do they need to go to one more time, Jonathan? Logicboostlabs.com slash millionaire. And we're looking to add two new startups within the next four months. So that reminds me too, it's like, okay, right now we're talking about the bottles and then you had already figured out the formula of going into the bottles, right? But then the packaging too, what do you do about that? Getting the cardboard and the packaging and whatnot? It's been an evolution and a learning. We were looking for something that exists. We worked with a great company in Colorado called Eco Enclose that had highly recycled cardboard boxes that kind of fit what we were looking for. And then we started to realize, oh, they'll hold up better if we use a little thicker cardboard. Oh, they'll hold up better if we have some inserts in them. So as we grew, we started designing boxes specially made for us as we, again, got larger, could afford to have a box specially made and order enough that it made it financially viable. So we started with a sort of off the shelf and some recycled paper fill to keep them from getting dented and have evolved now to kind of a custom box that keeps them pretty well insulated and that we're able to reuse several times before they get recycled. So you don't use plastic in there? No plastic in there. And we don't even use plastic tape. We use paper tape. There you go. Yeah. Which again, learning process, they got to get that plastic tape off the cardboard before they can recycle those boxes. And in some places they don't bother to do that. Also using the, the paper tape so that the boxes, we make sure that they can be recycled wherever they are in the world. 
I was trying to recycle properly and it's hard to figure out. And I did not know that. And I bet a lot of people listening did not know that. So you're just saying like, is packaging tape, is that plastic in there, I imagine, versus I think Amazon uses paper tape, it looks like when I get it. But now I noticed that. I would never even notice that or even known that. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing like how many chemicals are in your shampoo on average? And some of it's detergent, some of it's plastic. Like, who knew? I mean, we do not have time to be educated on all of the crazy facts in our world. And I think you hopefully you rely on the expertise of others. And unfortunately, some companies take advantage of that fact. Yeah, I think that's why recycling's gotten so bad. It's like the percentage, I think it's like underneath 25% like in the US or whatnot. But it's like if they had a class for like second or third graders, you know, even for a month or even for a week where they taught them that, all the parents would learn too. But it's like, I'm actively trying to figure it out. And if it's this complicated and I'm trying to figure it out, that's really annoying, you know? I agree. And I think there's unfortunately some smoke and mirrors involved. I think that there are particularly the plastics industry, some people who want it to be misleading and confusing, you know, like putting all those little numbers in a triangle, you assume that that means it's recyclable because we were all taught that little triangle means recycle. But as you pointed out, only one and two are. Three, four, five, six, and seven are usually not. So I think there's a lot of misleading stuff. It is so hard to be a conscious consumer. I don't know if you've ever seen the show, The Good Place, but it was a sitcom. But anyway, at some point they talk about like how impossible it is because everything is so complicated to like do a good thing in the world at this point. Like you accidentally make something for somebody, but the tomato that you bought was slave labor in some foreign country that, you know, whatever. So we have created a pretty complicated world. When I was saying I did some research recycling wise is uh, basically believe the plastic industry wanted all those extra numbers just to make people feel good like they were recycling, but you're really not for three, four, five, six, and seven, which is just ridiculous, you know, because then people would feel way worse, right? They'd feel way worse. And hopefully we're educating people right now, right? That's why part of the reason I wanted to have you on is like have some companies that like open the eyes. I'm like, man, if they're not going to teach in a school, I've got to have some companies on where I'm getting frustrated and I'm trying to figure out how it's even done. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the other tricky thing is, is that it's different in every city, in every county, in every state. So you have to not only learn about it, but then learn about what's going on where you live. And often people saying, oh, this is recyclable. I mean, they may mean that it is recyclable somewhere in the world, but that does not mean it's recyclable where you are. Like now this new compostable items that kind of look like plastic, but they're made from cornstarch. Then people are like, oh, no, it's fine to use them. They're compostable. Well, they are compostable in a commercial composter that heats them up, but they're not like compostable in your backyard. Only if you have like a city compostable program that takes it and puts it in their commercial composter, are they compostable? And there are not a lot of cities in the country that have those. So again, you think you're doing the right thing. You're told you're doing the right thing. And that's unfortunately not always the case. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things is that Going back to your product and your company, the best thing anyone can do is just reuse the same item. Because even if things are being recycled, right, that we already talked about, it can only be recycled once or twice at best with the plastic, but it takes energy to recycle it. Like versus if you reuse something, like I always try to fix something before like throwing it away. That's the best thing you can do for anything. That is by far the best thing you can do for anything. It is crazy to me how we've moved away from that as a society. I had like a zipper on a suitcase that broke it and I could not find anybody to fix it for me. 
I called shoe places. I'm like, oh, just it's cheaper to get a new one. I'm like, but I don't want a new one. I just want to fix all it needs is a zipper. It was maddening. I hate hearing, well, just buy another one. It's cheaper. I mean, that's kind of <laughs> where we've gone wrong is this idea that, oh, just throw it away and get another one. That's a cheaper thing to do. It may be cheaper in this moment, but it's certainly not cheaper for us as a society eventually. Were you able to figure it out? No, I wasn't. And I still have it. It's in my attic. I'm hopeful that, <laughs> that one day I will find somebody to fix it. I've had the same issue on Amazon. They have some type of zipper that you can kind of screw on. So I'd look at that and they got like three different sizes. You probably need the biggest one, I'm going to assume for that one. Because I think I had a jacket or something like that. So I'd look at that afterwards. Maybe I saved a suitcase. Thank you. See, we're helping each other. Thank you. We're trying and hopefully helping millions of people listening right now, right? Hopefully, hopefully we're solving the great zipper crisis. But yes, we always say, don't buy it if you don't need it. Reuse it if you can. Fix it. Somebody emailed us and they're like, well, why would I buy your product if I could make my own shampoo? I was like, don't. Don't buy our stuff if you're making your own shampoo. Good for you. Nobody's making you buy anything. If you have a refill shop down the road that works for you, great. This is just one more option. And certainly we are in support of people doing what works for them. I mean, that's why I reuse my toilet paper too. And you asked about the good place. Yeah. So I've seen my wife have it on. And also it's the only sitcom, I guess if you, you call it, that uh, says anything about the Jacksonville Jaguars in there. They always make fun of Blake Bortles or whatever. And, and I'm in Jacksonville. So that's the only time we get national publicity is then. But I got sidetracked there talking about, oh yeah, plastic inside your box and figuring out the packaging. Do you still use those guys for your cardboard packaging eco enclose? We actually ended up finding somebody more local that we do most of our work with now just to not have to ship it from Colorado, but we do use them for some things, but I highly recommend them. They're great. So yeah, you had that packaging, your sister's taking care of stuff in Cincinnati. I don't think you've launched yet, right? And can we come back to the story then? Once we got those aluminum bottles with product, we, well, no, of course, then there was like a website delay or two, but we ended up launching on Valentine's Day, not because I wanted to launch on Valentine's Day, but it just finally was like all came together. And I went up to Cincinnati and we like turned the website on and waited eagerly for our first order, which of course was like a family member. I think it was our mom and some friends and family. But then it was about a week later. So every time we got an order, I went back home, we would be like, do you know them? Do you know them? Like, how did they find us? And it was finally about a week that was like the first total stranger bought something. And that was like the real to me celebration. Like somebody that we didn't know had deemed this worthy of purchasing. So that was exciting. I know you had said you got into aluminum bottles and it worked fine, but did you have to take those aluminum bottles, send it to your manufacturer to fill it with the body wash and whatnot, and then they ship it back to her place in Cincinnati? We did have to do that. So yeah, so we agreed with them that they would make it and put it right into the bottles. So we weren't like putting it in a bunch of plastic in between. So yeah, we do. We buy the bottles actually in Ohio and ship them down and then bring them back. So there is a little bit of movement there, but at least it's bulk. So it's not that bad. So then they're in her garage slash fulfillment center, right? And then, so every time an order's coming in, because again, I'm just trying to feel like how you even get started on this, you know, and people listening now. So it's in the garage still slash fulfillment center. And then as you get some e-commerce orders, you send them out. Yep. Mailing them out. Are you making money on the very first one or how long did it take to actually start becoming profitable? We started paying ourselves back relatively quickly. I think 
it took a while for us to fully pay ourselves back, but we were turning a profit. I mean, we set it up so that we made money as we did it. And other than owing ourselves money, we had very low overhead to get started. I mean, it was really just, you know, the money that we put in to buy the product and everything else we were doing by ourselves at that point. And it was Valentine's Day 2017? 2017. Okay. And then from there, can you take us through, I guess a week later, you finally get an e-commerce order from someone you don't know and just take us along the timeline there. You know, during that research period, developed a lot of relationships with, as I mentioned, kind of bloggers in the green beauty, zero waste, other products are vegans. So some people there. And so we started just sending out a ton of samples to people like, hey, will you try this? And if you like it, will you talk about it? Hey, can you give us feedback? And that's really how we started to grow. We were kind of the first ones to do this, the first ones to not use plastic in the personal care world, and still one of the only ones to take our bottles back. So I think that mission, that purpose excited people. And we had a ton of support and still do from bloggers and just people helping us spread the word. And that really fueled our growth. And so we did about 100,000 in revenue the first year and then 500,000 the next year. So like 2017, that's what you're saying? You did 100,000? Yeah. Okay. And I imagine, let's just say after launch day, how much were you working that first couple of weeks there? Oh, all the time. At least I was. My sister had it pretty easy because we didn't have that many orders to fulfill, but it was my job to get the orders. So I was working much harder than she was at that point. It has certainly evened out since then. Yeah, because that's what I want to point out as well is that especially when you're launching something, you're like, hey, you have to go crazy as far as marketing. I guess you send emails to these people. Like you only have one shot at that, really. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, we kept just building and building and building. I mean, it wasn't like, oh my God, this has got to go big immediately. I mean, we were sort of already all in. It wasn't like make or break it right off the bat. We just kind of kept building on it. But that's a ton of work. I mean, being consistent and posting and reaching out and following up and then getting contacts from that person. I mean, I feel like to me, it was a marathon, not a sprint. I like to put in my head that I'm like, oh, I only got one time to launch, right? Again, it's just hopefully continual growth, but it's like try to take advantage of something new, why it's new, even if maybe it'd be a couple of years so people find out about it. But just the momentum of getting started, now you finally have something that you can go send to everybody versus before. I don't know that you necessarily had that. No, we didn't. And that is true. I mean, there was some excitement around that, but that was not really our attitude. It was more like exhaustion of like, oh, we can finally like, okay, here, it's out. Okay, now let's figure out how to do this. And we constantly have been tweaking things and relaunching things and changing the website and changing the bottles. And so I wouldn't say that it was sort of all in at that point. That was just kind of like, okay, one more hurdle that we crossed. Now let's figure out how to sell this thing. And let me get money in the bank account that's not mine, right? And let me show those guys who made my stainless steel mason jars who I really am. Yeah, I doubt they were following us, but sure. <laughs> I have to do stuff like that in my head to drive me even more, you know? So I guess everyone's different. It is interesting. I mean, for me, it was very much, again, probably that I had, in my mind, dragged my sister along on this and I felt a huge responsibility to her. She'd put money in. She had started this with me. And I think to me, it was more feeling responsible and to make it a success based on the fact that she invested money in my idea. And as we brought people on, I mean, I feel more of a responsibility that way. 
I'm one of those people that I like need people to meet me to work out. Like I'm externally motivated in that way. Yeah. Everyone's got their different momentum or if they know what makes them go, right? You don't want to let your sister down. So sometimes it's not letting sister people down versus like proving people wrong and whatnot. Yeah. So I guess, would you have done anything differently that first year or did everything go as you had hoped? Oh, I'm sure we should have done a hundred things differently that first year, but we were just excited that people were buying it. I don't think we probably pushed as fast or hard as we could have, but that was okay with us. We were still learning how to run a business and what that meant and how to time orders and all of those things. Well, were there any hiccups in like the return process from the customer? Because this first time you're dealing with that, because now we talked about everything else, but not a customer actually sending it back to your fulfillment center in Cincinnati. Yeah. I mean, it took us a while to get that process down. We experimented with how to wash them, where to wash them, what to wash them with, drain them first, pre-washing, inside, outside, two cycles, one cycle. We put soap in. Now there's too much soap from the shampoo and bubbles are coming out of the dishwasher. I mean, again, I think we learned something from the bottles. We just did a ton of trial and error and testing and clipboards and back to like basic science 101. Like what's the control? What's the variable? What's the result? What if we do this? What if we do that? Again, tons of learning and we have a process now that works, but it took a while. So when they send them back, just even the first ones, because you had so many bottles in your sister's garage, I imagine you're sending them because they were full back to those people. But the ones that they're sending in, so were you just putting them in your dishwasher to get those clean? And then like, what's the process from that? At the very beginning, we bought my sister's dishwasher, like a bottle rack for the top, and we were washing them in there. Was this like an industrial dishwasher or is it just her plain one? At that point, it was a very high-end personal dishwasher that we bought a bottle rack for. She managed to talk the company into buying her a fancy new dishwasher. So that was a win for that end of the partnership. Yeah. A lot of dinner parties probably too. Yeah. So now we have an industrial bottle washer that we got from a company. So we're doing that process that way. It worked to do it in her dishwasher for a while until it didn't work because there were too many. But then, yeah, so then we would wash them and then store them. And then when we ordered new bottles, we would include those bottles down to the manufacturer to be refilled. I just love that you're still only a couple of years into the business so you can remember all this, right? We all have to start somewhere, you know? Well, there are some things that stand out more than others. I mean, the day the bubbles came flooding out of the machine, I will probably not forget any time in the near future. So when was that? Well, see, now that that is tricky. Your very first wash? No, no, no. It was when we were doing a lot more. It was when we'd first gotten the industrial bottle washer and we were trying to do larger sets of them. And that was a whole different process that we had to learn how to do once we switched over to that. What's the size of this thing when you switch over to it to what you had before? I mean, it's still not that big, but it's like what you'd see in a kitchen in a restaurant. Oh, so there's metal ones that open both side doors? Yeah, it's like that. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. And then how many bubbles went everywhere when you had your fiasco? <laughs> Lots of bubbles everywhere. Luckily, it was on a concrete floor, so we weren't ruining my sister's kitchen, but there were mops involved. And as you said, much cursing when, when we realized what was going on and there was nothing we could do to stop it at that moment because the cycle was on. But luckily, it's a short cycle, so we didn't damage anything, but we were just like, back to the drawing board. Now we got to figure this out. So just less detergent in there would it work? Less detergent, higher heat. Turns out that we're washing, at least with shampoo and body wash, bottles that already have soap in them. 
Oh, I would have done the same thing. I wouldn't have thought about that. So that's what really caused it. Yes, that's completely what caused it. Yeah, soap plus soap. I had a roommate when I was like 28, and this just proves that he never did dishes up to this point, and he put the wrong type of soap in there. I'm like, what type of soap did he do? And he put the sink soap versus the dishwasher soap. Yeah, that'll cause problems. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get like 10 towels and I mean, that's just inside. So how many bubbles came out of your industrial one? Is it, were they coming out of the garage or what? We had at that point started renting some warehouse space at another warehouse. We had outgrown the garage, at least for storage. And we, so we put the industrial dishwasher there. So it was there, which I guess was a good thing. So all your neighbors got to see that. <laughs> you got to clean out the storage shed there. No, I mean, luckily it was not like a storage. It was like at a real warehouse, like offsite. We had rented, started renting some space from another company. How nice was the warehouse? Because I've seen self-storage centers that actually kind of have warehouses like that, that are like, it's almost just like a self-storage thing, but you're saying it's nicer than that? This was nicer than that. We luckily, again, you know, kind of came across another company that had a huge warehouse and they had some extra room and my sister happened to know them and they were like, hey, if you guys ever need some space, which we didn't at the time, but we came back to them a few months later and we're like, remember when you said you had some extra room? And so we roped my brother-in-law in. He got to fulfill his lifelong dream of learning how to drive a forklift and started renting some space out there, um, which we just purchased our very own warehouse. So that is exciting. It's a fixer-upper as we do. We're reusing an old building, and so there's lots of work to be done there, but eventually we will have our own space. Going back to the story of this one, I guess in that warehouse, you told them that you'd clean the floors for free too, I guess, right? Yes, definitely. And that we would not accidentally bubble any of their boxes they had stored there. So that was our main concern was that the bubbles did not spread to, <laughs> to other people's storage. What's a good pivot point? Or should we go into year two now? Or what do you think is the best way to figure out the rest of the last couple of years of what you've done here? Since then, we've just kind of slowly been adding more products. I would say the next big pivot point was this last year, we started looking at bulk products. There have been, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but refill shops kind of popping up around the country where it's sort of like the bulk bin in your grocery aisle, but for everything. So this notion that you could come in with your own containers and pick up some dry goods, maybe refill your shampoo bottle, soap. And those are starting to show up all around the nation. So we wanted to work with them. We wanted to, you know, again, if we're sort of against single use, we felt like we wanted to be a part of that movement as well. So it took us, again, a while to figure it out, but we uh, were able to find some three and a half gallon buckets. They actually are plastic, but we also take them back and reuse them. And so we have started adding those to our product line. It's really insightful. So as soon as you said you were setting up the Patreon, it was just like, yeah, I'll help this guy. You know, I take a lot of value from it. You know, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Well, I was going to say, have you checked out our newest Patreon episode? Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, I'm in the car. I'll just listen to it, whatever. But I'm not getting anything out of this. And then you're like, wow, I'm not that naive or anything, but it really did open your eyes. What did you think about that group call the other day? Yeah, it was good. You know, even if there's less people on there, it actually benefits you more personally, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you're getting advice from multiple people. You know, a lot of people pay a lot of money to have coaches and for 24 bucks a month and be able to get all the other podcasts and that. I was like, it's, it's kind of a no brainer. I just Googled refill shops near me and 
the first website's called literalist.com and it has all the, I guess each state and you can look by city exactly what you're talking about. So I'm going to have to check out one of these. One has bulk grains and teas and spices. So all different types of bulk stuff like you're saying. Yeah. So again, it's very much kind of where you are in your journey to have a smaller footprint in the world. So for some people ordering a product and have it come to their door and subscribing for refills, that's a great step. And other people are able to be super organized and start hitting up these refill shops. And unfortunately, I am great at doing that for like cashews and chocolate chips and oatmeal and stuff. But getting a bottle out of my shower the day I'm out to a refill shop and back in my shower just isn't where I am yet. So I'm still dependent on, <laughs> on our service. But I think it's great that there are options and people can choose how they want to engage with this zero waste effort. And so what's been the hardest part of growing plain products? Just so much to learn. I mean, I think probably the supply chain management and the inventory stuff is tricky. You know, manufacturers are hard to deal with. Timeframes are always a little dicey. So you want to not have too much stuff, but not run out of stuff. So that has been a huge learning curve. Figuring out marketing um, is always a learning curve. Not throwing money after bad. That's one of the first places when you ask about employees was bringing somebody on that had more expertise than me to try and help make those decisions. So early staff was a marketing person. And then we ended up getting some help in the warehouse and some help on the website. Those were the early hires that we made. Well, how about personally? Personally, for me, I think finding a good work-life balance is important. As you said, when it's your own company, you could work 24-7. In theory, just benefiting yourself. So I was doing all the customer service. I was doing all the social media. It was very easy for me to be on my phone or on my computer 24-7. So I had to learn to put some boundaries in and then also learn to let some stuff go. Hire somebody to help with social media and not approve every post before they did it. Hire somebody to answer customer service questions and not look over their shoulder constantly. So not having my hands in the business all the time, but actually thinking bigger picture and working. Work on your business, not in your business. The goal of a, a good CEO. So that's where I'm, I'm trying to get now. And now you have your new warehouse. That sounds exciting. We do. It is exciting. It is going to be quite a fixer-upper, as I said. Happily, again, my sister and now we've pretty much engaged my brother-in-law full-time. He has a construction background. So it's going to be another reuse project. And where's that located? That'll be in Cincinnati, where my sister is. Well, nice. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing your story. I guess, is there any last words of wisdom you might have for anyone who's listening? I would just say people that this is kind of their first introduction to zero waste topics or using less plastic in your life. It is super easy to get overwhelmed once you start looking around and realizing how much single use stuff you have. And the best thing that you can do is just pick one thing and try it and expand out from there. It is very easy to sort of get paralyzed by all of the choices that you have to make. And so I just really encourage people to just start somewhere. We say progress, not perfection. So pick something, try it out, see how it works for you, and then build on that. Yeah, I was looking at your bio and I was thinking that the first thing is if you're going to the grocery store, just use reusable bags instead of the plastic ones, because that's just so simple and you just keep them in your car and you're showing other people that you're using it too, right? So I think that helps just marketing wise, like, okay, maybe you don't have to use plastic every time. Because even when they say those are recyclable, like we talked about. I don't think they really get recycled, even if you drop them off. And you can't put them in your recycling bin, at least in my place. Again, it depends where, everywhere you are. That is the one thing you really cannot put in anywhere. They definitely gum up 
the recycling thing. They're like, apparently plastic bags are the bane of recycling centers. Yeah. So that's perfect reason why use reusable bags if you're going to the grocery store. And then the second thing was the toothbrushes. I never thought about that because my wife got bamboo toothbrushes. I'm like, why do you have that? And it's like, again, I never would have thought about, okay, that's plastic in there. And if you got bamboo, I guess it just disintegrates versus being plastic there. Yeah. And it's a pretty sustainable material. I mean, you're not burning fossil fuels to make it the way you are with plastic. So bamboo grows really fast and is easy for farmers to manage and is a great material that we don't use that often. Yeah. Then why don't we give them a third thing? And that's it. Because if you have no idea what you're doing, how about using plain products? (laughs) Thank you for saying it. So I didn't have to. Just to harp on it again, especially for a woman, like how many plastic bottles y'all generally have in a shower? Like it's kind of insane, right? And so your idea is like, I need to get rid of all these plastic bottles. Why don't I use something that's actually reusable? And then then you'd be supporting someone who's come on the podcast as well. So it seems like that makes a lot of sense as well. So I guess if they want to check it out again, where would they go? So plain with an E, -E P-L-A-I-N-E products.com. And you can find all the information there. We're also on social media at plain products is our handle on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, all the places. Well, thank you again for coming on. And I was going to say, if there's one way for someone to reach out to you personally and say thank you or learn more about recycling, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Any of the social channels, they'll get it to me. I'm on LinkedIn and my email is just lindsay at plainproducts.com. All right, Lindsay. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Thank you. This was really fun. Are you looking for more product-based interviews? Well, I got you. Here's five awesome suggestions just for you. Try episode 135 with Jim Kalb of OptiFuse or an old favorite, episode 24 with Starfire Direct. Another one, try episode 127, that's 127, with Doug Booten, the founder of Halo Top Ice Cream, which I'm sure you've seen in your local supermarket. Another oldie but goodie, episode 34 with Don DiCostenza of Pedigo Electric Bikes. And last but not least, the touching story in episode 98 with Ann Head. And hey, while you're exploring our awesome back catalog of episodes, why don't you consider becoming a Patreon member? We've got secret Patreon episodes in the product industry, like Patreon episode number 29, where I interviewed the founder of Fatheads, or Patreon episode 3, where I talked with Rick Martinez about succeeding in the cannabis industry. Just check your notes below on how to get these secret episodes right now.